Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 14. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of real faith. The book of Hebrews says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, it is the evidence of things not seen. I would like to say that I believe that our problem in our world today is not that there is a lack of things that would be called faith. There's lots of faith, lots of different faiths. But I believe there's very little real faith. Real faith is evidenced by action, by what it does. And while you may say your faith is in one place, what you do, how you behave, is an indicator of where your faith really is. We can say that we believe that God has all power, but if we don't live as if he has any power, then our faith is not real. We can say that we believe that the power of the gospel is able to change people's lives. But if we don't share the gospel with anybody, do we really believe that it has that power? We may say that we believe that the Spirit of God indwells us to guide and direct us, to convict us of the truth, and to guide us to understand His Word. But if we don't ever obey what the Spirit of God is telling us to do, then do we really believe that the Spirit of God has power? See, real faith is evidenced through action. The book of James says it very succinctly when it says, Faith without works is dead being alone. I'm concerned that today it's not that there's a lack of things that are called faith in our world, but rather there is an extreme lack of real faith. Faith that actually motivates us to do something. In fact, I think in our world today, you see faith in a lot of other things besides the power of God. Many people today, while they may not claim to like the news media, believe in the news media because they allow it to dictate what they do. They make their choices based on what someone on TV or on the Internet says. People may say, well, I, I, I don't believe in whatever's going on in society today, but if we allow what is going on in society to be something that we're afraid of, then do we really believe in the God who has the power over everything. We may say, well, I believe that God is able to provide, but when we live in worry and frustration because we don't have everything we want right now, do we really believe that God has the power to provide? I think you understand what I'm trying to say to you this morning, that real faith is demonstrated through our actions, through what we do. One of my favorite stories, and I've preached from this passage before here is this passage in 1 Samuel 14. In fact, it was a passage of Scripture that God used in a very direct way in my life as 
my wife and I, we packed up our five much smaller children at that time, and we made the trip back here to my hometown, to Houston, to start this church almost five years ago. God has used this story over and over again. I've preached from this passage many times, but even as I was starting to go in a different direction last week in my preparation for today, the Lord just laid this on my heart once again, and I went back and studied again. So you may have heard me preach from this passage before. The principles are the same. The truth is the same. The message, in essence, is the same. But God has shown me some things and challenged me some things in a fresh and new way this week, and I want to challenge you with those things as well. As we, Before we read this story, let me give you a little bit of background. In 1 Samuel 14, we learn more about this young man named Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, who was at that time the king of Israel. In fact, he was the first king of Israel. But this time in Israel was not a good time. The Philistines, an enemy force, had moved into the land and occupied the land of Israel. They had even set up garrisons, which were military outposts in the land of Israel. They were set up there to maintain order, to collect tribute, and to basically prove to the Israelites that they were in charge in their own land. In fact, the Philistines during this time controlled all of the blacksmithing, the ironwork. And so it was during this time that the, there were only two swords that were available to the entire army of Israel. And those two swords were carried by King Saul and his son, Jonathan. Everybody else in the army, they were perhaps carrying pitchforks or scythes used to harvest grain, but nothing of really any substance. There were no spears. There were no swords because the Philistines had taken away their ability to produce weaponry. It was a very difficult time in the nation of Israel. And as we get into this story today, you will see that King Saul, the man who was head and shoulders above everybody else, who God had selected to be the people's first king, he was hiding. He was with his 600 men, the small army that he had at this time, and they were under some pomegranate trees trying to figure out what to do. There was another group of the Israelites who, as you will see, had actually joined with the Philistines. They said, we are tired of fighting. We're going to join the other side. The typical fair weather fan, right? Always cheer for the team that's winning, and then you'll never lose. There was another group of Israelites who were cowering in fear, and they were living in any cave or behind any rock or in any place that they could find in the mountains, in the little canyons and craggy places out of the way to try to avoid any conflict whatsoever. Then there, were, there was Jonathan and his armor bearer. These two guys. And God does a great work through them, but it's because of their willingness to walk by As we read, I want to read the first six verses to you, and then we'll continue on here this morning. But before we do that, let's go to prayer. Lord, as we look at your word, help us today to understand it, 
and that you would speak to our heart. Lord, it's one thing to understand something mentally. It's another thing than to, again, act upon it by faith. Lord, as we hear this message on faith from your word this morning, I pray that it wouldn't just be another message that we hear, but as James tells us, we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. Help me as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. The story begins, Now it came to pass upon a day, sort of sounds like once upon a time, uh, but this really did happen. This is not just a children's storybook. But I want to put it in the context this morning of imagining Samuel as the author of this book of the Bible as he's recording this information to be able to share it with posterity. He's doing this under the inspiration of God, so this is the Word of God, but he tells the story in such a way that you can really picture yourself there. You can almost imagine it as if he's saying, now boys and girls, pay attention. Listen up this morning. I'm going to tell you about Jonathan and the great victory that God did. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. That's an interesting statement there. Jonathan is the prince. He's the king's son. He's part of the army. The king, King Saul, is the head of the army. Why would Jonathan not tell his father? Why did Samuel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write that he did not tell his father? I don't know for sure, but I wonder if it's because Saul was away from God. Saul was not following God. Uh, even up to this point, Saul had already turned his back and sinned against God prior to this. Jonathan knew that to tell his father would not accomplish the work that needed to be done. So he didn't tell his father, and it says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. Here's one of the other guys with him. It says, And Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. It wasn't just the political leader, King Saul. It was also the high priest, who should have been the spiritual leader of the people. They were gathered together along with these 600 men to figure out what to do with the Philistines. And it says, and between, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. Can't you see it, boys and girls? Here's the people gathered. We've got sharp rocks here. It's a narrow passageway. The name of the rock on the one side was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. Can't you hear him telling the story? It's as if he's driving back through this location. He's giving all this geological and geographical data. Hey, guys, look over here. Do you see those rocks? This is where this story took place. It was right in this location. It was at this time. There was Jonathan. There was his armor bearer. There was Saul. There was the high priest. There were the 600 men. They were under a pomegranate tree. Can you smell it? Can you feel it? Are you there? That's what he's doing for us here. It says, And Jonathan, verse 6, said to his armor bearer, Come. 
And let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And Jonathan knew what he was talking about when he said that God can save by many. If you go back to chapter 13, we read of a story of Jonathan who took an army of a thousand men and won a great victory over the Philistines. His father Saul had 2,000 men and didn't win a victory. So Jonathan with his thousand won. He knew what it meant to see God win a victory with many. But Jonathan also had faith that God could win the battle when all he had was a few. In this opening six verses of the story, I see two groups of people. There are those who tarry, who wait, who hold back with Saul, and then there's Jonathan and his armor bearer who are willing to go over, to go forward, to take a step of faith. I think we could very easily say that those same two groups of people exist today. And unfortunately, the group that wants to hang back and wait and sit back and allow something else to take place is the group that wants to wait. That's the bigger group, almost always. And those who are willing to go forward, to trust God, to obey His Word, often is the remnant, the small group. Here, it's just two. But the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Saul should have been leading this army. Jonathan doesn't even want to tell Saul about it. Saul should have been going forward by faith. He was the anointed one of God, not Jonathan. And yet Saul is waiting in fear. He says, let us go over. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, real faith is demonstrated by action. It's demonstrated by action. Claiming that you have faith in God and refusing to obey the Word of God is not real faith. If God has all power, then what are you afraid of? If God gives us peace and He's the giver of all peace, then why are you in turmoil? As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So why are so many people running around trying to fill themselves up with anything and everything other than God? It's because the Lord isn't really their shepherd. And I wonder, even today, in a church, on a Sunday morning, if the Lord is your shepherd. Or if he's just something, a person that you name from time to time. Or you acknowledge before you eat a meal. But is he somebody that his power, his word, and his truth has changed and continues to change your life Amen. to the point that you're willing to take some action and go over and obey what he tells you to do. Real faith is demonstrated by action. Now, you may be looking at the notes this morning and say, Pastor, has seven notes, we're gonna, seven points. We're going to be here all day. I'm going to move through them quickly just to prove it to you. Here's number two. Real faith is demonstrated by acting upon what God is able to do 
without knowing what God will do. This is such an important point. Don't miss it. We see it right here in our text in verse number 6. He says, It may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan didn't know what God would do, but he understood enough about what God was able to do to take a step of faith. And for many believers, even so-called Christians today, they're holding back, afraid to obey God and trust Him at His word because they're waiting to see God do something and then they'll get involved. Then they'll follow Him. Jonathan's faith is being commended in this passage. It's given to us as an example of how we ought to walk by faith because he was trusting in what God was able to do rather than just waiting to see what God would do. It was not a question of if God could work. It was a question of if God would work. But the reality is we often don't get to see what God is able to do until we're willing to walk with him and step out by faith and obey what he has already told us to do. If you can't trust what God has told you to do and obey the clear commands from his word, then you can't expect to ever see God do something beyond what you understand or, or know that he will do. You know what he's able to do, perhaps. But even that, the scripture says, he's able to do far above and exceeding, even above what we can ask or think. Too many times, our faith is not real faith because it's not trusting in what God is able to do. It's waiting to see, oh, is God? Okay, okay, now I'll trust him. It's the attitude that, we had in our, when I lived in Missouri, emblazoned on our license plates. It was the show me state. Seeing is believing. That may be true, but that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is willing to trust in what God is able to do without seeing what he will do before we step out. A lot of people say, well, I'll trust God after he gives me everything I need. No, God says, I want you to trust me with everything you need and step out by faith and trust him to provide as you're obeying him. I've talked to people who say, well, I will start giving financially to the Lord after God takes care of all of these things first. And the scripture is very clear. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that we have to bring our first fruits to the Lord, that we ought to bless God with our first fruits and trust Him for all these things. Trust Him to provide the increase. See, faith is acting upon what God is able to do without knowing what God will do. And here's the beautiful thing. This is not a blind faith. God has given us His Word. And you can trust God's word. It's been proven throughout the generations. From beginning to end, God's word is truth. God is not calling you to act upon this blind faith. Well, I don't know what God's going to do. I just got to do something. No, obey his word. Obey his word. 
True faith is not a blind faith. It is acting upon what God is able to do. But how do you know what God's able to do? Because of what his word says. But for many believers too, you have the privilege of being able to walk based upon even what you've seen him do in your life in the past. Colossians chapter 2 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, you received him by faith, so walk ye in him. Walk in the faith that God can take care of you, just like you had to trust God to save you from your sin. If you can trust God with your eternal destination, your home in heaven, to forgive you of all your sin, and some of you know how much that is, then can't you trust him to obey him and to follow his word, to put him first, to do the simple things that he's laid on his word? You say, but if I were to follow God, I'm not sure how this all works out. That's not for us to worry about. It's our job to trust God and do based on what he's able to do, not wait to see, well, if it all works out, then I'll obey him. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's not real faith. I want you to look once again at verse number six. It says, it may be the Lord will work for us, but look at the next phrase. It says, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Real faith is demonstrated by action. Real faith is tr trusting in what God is able to do without knowing what God will do. Number three, real faith is demonstrated by trusting in God alone. Jonathan's statement here is really important. He says, the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Who is the one doing the work? Is it the resources? Is it the many or the few? No. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one that does the work. Have you ever thought about this? God doesn't need your help. Don't ever get the attitude, well, I sure am thankful that I am faithful and that I give and that I do this because I don't know where this church would be without me. Probably be just fine. Probably be just fine. Because the reality is, if this church is the Lord's church, we need the Lord. But God's work will also be accomplished with or without you. It's not a question of if God will win. It's a question of will, be, will we be with God when he does win? Romans 8, speaking about the security that the believer has, no matter what comes in our salvation, says in verse 31, what? Shall we say then, if God be for us, who can be against us? What a privilege to be able to walk with God who always wins, who's always victorious. He's not restrained to save by many or by few. Real faith is demonstrated by trusting in God alone. But here's the subtle shift that I think takes place in a lot of our lives. And it happens to every single one of us. None of us is exempt. But even those who have done their best to walk by faith and trust the Lord in time, if you're not, all, this happens to all of us, we begin to shift over and start to trust in the resources or to trust in our past experience or trust in our own ability or strength. And we take our faith off of the Lord 
and we begin to trust in the many or by few. Now, the book of Luke tells us we ought to count the cost before we uh, build a tower, that we ought to take careful thought about what we do, and we ought to use wisdom to steward the resources God has given us wisely. This is not in conflict with this. Rather, it helps us to better understand. Yes, you ought to exercise the wisdom that God's given you, but you can't trust in your own wisdom. You have to trust in God. Say, well, I, I, I can't give something that God hasn't given to me first. That's true. But are you giving him the things he has given you? Or are you saying, well, this was, this was mine. When he gives me some more, then I'll give of that. No, God says put him first. Put him first. See, real faith trusts in God alone. God alone. So here we have Jonathan, his armor bearer. Saul and his army, they're under the trees. The people are hiding out in the caves. Some have joined up with the Philistines. They're on the other side. They're traitors. And Jonathan is expressing to his armor bearer his desire to trust God and to step out by faith to defeat the enemy of God's people. Jonathan could have looked around and he said, well, why am I doing this? This should be my dad's job. And it should have been. Why am I doing this? This should be something the whole army is doing together. And they should have been. Why me? Why doesn't somebody else? Hey, if someone else would step up, then I'll, then I'll join them. I'm thankful Jonathan didn't say any of those things, even though those would be natural responses, I think, for all of us in this kind of situation. Look at verse 7. It says, And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Notice this about real faith, that real faith demonstrated by you will encourage others to trust God. It'll encourage others to trust God. Amen. It says it so clearly right here at the end of verse 7. He says, I am with thee according to thy heart. Jonathan has this desire to follow God, to trust God, to go over, to beat back this enemy that had come in, blaspheming the name of God, taking over the promised land that God had given to Israel. They knew this was their land that God had given them. But because of fear, because of a lack of resources, because they were trusting in themselves. They were giving it away. Jonathan said, this isn't right. God gave us this. God is powerful. We can trust the Lord. He's not restrained to save by many or by few. It may be the Lord will work for us. We don't know if he will, but, but he could. And his armor bearer says, all right, you go, and I'll come with you. Do what's in your heart. Let's do. I, I'm with you because of your heart. Do you see Jonathan's faith? motivates other people to take steps of faith. And I, you know, I think of this going back. My wife and I just celebrated 18 years from when we got engaged. This summer we'll celebrate 
17 years of, of marriage. But uh, we, we got engaged on the side of a mountain in Colorado. That's where she's from. And it was in uh, the end of December. And so there was snow on the mountain. And so I, I didn't even hold the ring out when I asked her to marry me because I was afraid I might lose it in the snow. So I kept the ring safely zipped in my inner coat pocket. And I asked her to marry me without a ring. Now, that ring at that moment in time was probably the most valuable thing that I owned. And I didn't even offer it to her right away when I asked her to marry me. I know a lot of people get down on their knee and hold the ring out. And she kind of checks it out. Mm. Yeah, okay, you know, Shandy didn't do any of those things, and I'm thankful for that. She said yes without any of that. You know what? I was in college still. I didn't have any money. I didn't even own a car. But she said yes anyway. Well, you said, well, she loved you. I, I know. I'm thankful. But, you know, in some way, I think she had some faith in what God could do or would do as we together by faith served him. Because during all of our time dating, I was talking about what I believe God would want us to do. We even, we even talked about that maybe uh, God would want us to start a church someday. That's, it, that's way back then. We, we talked about serving the Lord in ministry. and We didn't know where we would go or what it would look like. In fact, coming back to Houston at that mo moment in my life really wasn't forefront of my thoughts at all. Houston's just one place. The world's a big place. God could take me anywhere. Why come back to Houston? Now the Lord led us back here. But you know, I'm thankful for a wife that was willing to take a step of faith with me. In a sense, it was like she said to me, do all that is in thine heart. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. It feels like that when we moved here and started the church. You know, when we moved into this building, Everything that Arise Baptist Church owned, as far as physical stuff, fit in the trunk of my car. All of it. And uh, you saw some pictures last week of what it looked like when we moved in here. There wasn't a whole lot here that we were planning to keep that was still left here. Uh, most of it was cleaned out in the dumpster. And there's still some of it maybe that should go in the dumpster. I don't know, but God provided all those things. You see, when you go to start a church, when you go to start out in ministry, when you step forward by faith to serve God, it's not because there's a whole bunch of stuff already laid out for you. When you trust God to share the gospel with somebody, it's not because you know that they will get saved, but you know they could. Yeah. You know that God has the power to change their life. We have a group of people that's going to be going every week over here to the avenue, Lord willing, to have a Bible club for kids. Why do they do that? Well, they just like kids. But no, they trust that God can change their lives. Why did you spend your time with people like that? You know, why? Because God loves them and God can change their life. Because God loved you just like God loved you and has changed your life. I always look at those who are struggling, and those who maybe haven't had some of the advantages and benefits that God has blessed me with, and I think, you know, if God can't work in their life, then I don't have much hope that he can work in mine. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And I'm so thankful for those people that when you take a step of faith, that God encourages them and they're willing to take some steps with you. The reality I've seen, and this was the funny thing, I remember talking about planting this church and we called a bunch of people and told them what we we're going to do. Did you know a lot of them? And I said, we're going to need some money. We're going to need some help. 
Most of them didn't send any money until we moved here. I even had people, we were nine months into the church. We were preaching. I was preaching every week and busy and working, visiting, trying to talk to people. We were, Pastor, would you come up and present the work down there so that we'd like to consider taking you on for, for financial support? And I'm thinking, why didn't you do that? Like when I called you nine months ago. You know why? Because we hadn't done anything yet. We just, we were talking about it. But when you begin to take steps of faith, that's when others are encouraged to take steps of faith with you. You, you may wonder why. Well, I don't see any of this taking place in my own life. What has God burdened you to do from his word? What has he said to obey in that you're not doing? You say, well, I'm doing it all. I'm doing it all. Okay, well, keep doing it. Because the Lord may not work in the way that you expect him to. But be really careful if you're saying, well, I'm doing it all. I know I'm putting some prideful tone in my voice. But the reality is if we act like, well, I'm, I'm 100% right with God. I don't know. Probably you're not. Because I don't think any of us lives in that place all the time. Maybe even any of the time. It's a daily walk. It's a daily relationship. I've seen that in my marriage, in my walk with God. Any special relationship in my life is that there are times you're walking, you feel like things are going great, and you get busy and, and focused on things, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm not as close as I once was. And i got to focus. It's a daily relationship process. Real faith demonstrated by you will encourage others to trust God. You know, God designed us, as our theme for 2022 is, God designed us to work together for His glory. God designed the church as a body of believers with many different parts and abilities and talents and gifts all working together for the cause of the kingdom of God. God designed us to encourage others in their Christian walk. If your only spiritual encouragement is coming and hearing a sermon once a week, then I'm sorry because this probably isn't going to cut it for you. You ought to have others in your life, and we want to have people set up with other people as, as spiritual Pauls and Timothys to encourage one another to grow in their faith because as you demonstrate real faith in your life, it will encourage others to trust God as well. Now we're getting into the story. We've got Jonathan. We have his armor bearer. The enemy's up the hill. They're between those sharp rocks. They've said, we're going to trust God. But up to this point, have they trusted God yet? They've talked about it. They've talked about it. We can talk. That, that's kind of what a vision Sunday is. We, we can talk about trusting God. I can preach on faith. But trusting God happens with what we do with this. So here comes the plan. I want you to notice the wonderful strategery of this plan. 1 Samuel 14, 8 to 12. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. That's kind of like going, Hey, here we are! If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us 
And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. They challenged them to a fight. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Boy, Jonathan and his armor bearer made a great plan, didn't they? Well, you're like, guys, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, don't you know when you're outnumbered, you don't attack in the most difficult way possible uphill through a narrow passageway when your enemy has the advantage of height? I mean, Jonathan, shouldn't you sneak up at night? Jonathan, shouldn't you go around and, and have a distraction, maybe get Saul and them to start shouting and making some noise while you sneak in the back door and take them out? We could come up with a lot better plans for Jonathan. But I want you to understand this is so important. Faith, real faith, is not dependent on great plans. It is dependent on God's power. It's not to say we shouldn't make the best plans that we can. But God isn't going to work because our plan is great. God will work because he's great. Now we ought to, again, steward the responsibility, steward the resources, make wise decisions as best we know how. But at the end of the day, if your faith is in your plan to succeed, it's in the wrong thing. And I think you can see this again brought out clearly in the text. It's mentioned two different times. Notice, first of all, in verse number 10, he says, But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. Notice, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. Who was Jonathan saying would win the victory? It's not our great plan. It's the Lord. He says it again at the end of verse number 12. He says, come up to his armor bearer. Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. wonder, do we trust in chariots or horses or plans or resources, experience, personal strength? Or do we trust in God? Trust in God. Real faith is not dependent on great plans, but on God's power. I'll tell you, this is a challenge to me. Because it's fun to plan. It's fun to dream. It's fun to draw things up. It's fun to try to figure out how to organize and administrate and put things together, if you enjoy that kind of thing. But it's easy in all of that to begin to rely upon your administration, your ability, your strength, your past experience. So I think we can see a wonderful example here. Not, it's not teaching us that we shouldn't plan, but rather that our hope needs to be in the Lord and not in our plans. Jonathan's plan was simple, but Jonathan's faith was in God. Was in God. So here they are. They've shown themselves to the enemy. The enemy says, come on up. We're going to show you a thing. And so they say, let's go. So what happens? This is when we're starting to see that faith in more and more action taking place. 
Jonathan, or 1 Samuel 14, 13 to 22, verse 13, and Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet. You can hear Samuel saying, boys and girls, can you imagine this? He's climbing on his hands and feet. Which hand is for his sword then? Does he need a sword to fight this battle? Do you need a sword to fight yours? Or can God? Jonathan's going through with this because he's trusting the Lord. It says he climbed upon his hands and his feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. I find it very interesting here. Did Jonathan knock them down or did God knock them down? It doesn't say because all that matters is they fell down. God took care of them. God provided for them. And it says in that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men. Boys and girls, can't you see it? They're climbing up on their hands and knees, on their hands and feet, clambering up steep rocks in this narrow passageway. And they overcame 20 men in the space of about a half acre of land, it says, which a yoke of oxen might plow. That's just a small area about the size of just this back parking lot right here. These guys are pretty close together. It's not like they, they got one and then 10 minutes later they got to the next. These were one right after another. And notice what happens in verse 15. There was trembling in the host. I mean, they're going through these guys like a hot knife through butter. They're just falling down. And they're trembling. And it says there was a trembling in the host in the field. And among all the people, the garrison. And this tells us there was more than just this garrison behind them. The, the spoilers. They also trembled. And I love this phrase. And the earth quaked. As they were afraid. God says, let me help you out a little bit. <laughs> shook up the earth a little bit. You know, our enemies seem so powerful against us. But they can do nothing against God. Amen. Nothing against God. God says, here, let me help you out. <laughs> Boy, that gets scary really fast. And so it was a very great trembling. And now Samuel takes our attention over to Saul and his army. Remember, Jonathan's arm bearer, they're on their own. They're... It's just them and God. They're, they're headed out against this army. Nobody's with them, even though they should have been with them. They weren't. They, they're out there alone, just them and God. And here's Saul and his army. There's some watchmen. Always a lot of watchmen. I found that there's always people watching to see whether you're going to trust God or not. A lot of people talk about it, but there's always people watching. They're waiting to see if you actually do anything. Because there's so many people. I, I'm just tired of it. I think you are too. So many people talk a big game. And don't actually do anything about it. So many people get up and holler and shout about the power of God to change lives, but they won't tell anybody about the gospel. What a, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. There were watchers back here. They, they were watching to see what's going on. And notice what they saw. They saw that, uh, behold, the multitude melted away. Man, that enemy that looks so big, they're just melting. It's like nothing. It's like a, a snowy field on a hot day. It just, just gone. And they went on, notice, beating down one 
another. Not only did the Philistines experience the earthquaking underneath them, now God causes them to turn against one another. And these enemies look so powerful until God says, here, let's turn you against one another. God's been doing that for a really long time. There was a whole bunch of people that got together and said, we're going to build a tower to the Lord up to, up to heaven to be with God. God says, oh, you can't talk to each other anymore. You now all speak different languages. Can you imagine what that was like at the Tower of Babel that day? You're just talking along, and all of a sudden, the guy you were talking to no longer understands you anymore. And you're like, what? Hey, what? And just gibberish, just noise. They're all speaking different languages. All right, here's Jonathan and his armor bearer, just two guys going up against this army, and God's taking down 20 of them, and then all the rest of them turn and start fighting each other. I mean, it's almost comical to think about it in that way. And I love what Saul does here. They see this. And the enemies falling up down. They're disappearing. They're melting away. And Saul says, quick, let's count up and see who's gone. Who's missing? Like, Saul, I'm like, come on, get in the fight, man. Now you're going to count your army. Who, who left? Who left without telling me? Hey, Saul, don't you realize your enemy's getting defeated over there? Why, why don't you go see what that's like? No, no, somebody's gone. Somebody's missing. I know it. So we need to count from 1 to 600. That was a, a lot of people to count right now. And there's two missing. There was only 598. John, Saul's missing the point. So they get counted up, and they finally figured out that, behold, it says at the verse, end of verse 17, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So what did Saul do next? Let's get the high priest over here. Bring the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priest that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. God's winning this amazing victory within eyesight and earshot of where Saul and them are at. And they still can't figure it out. They're busy counting each other up. They're, they're busy talking to the priest. What do you think God would have us to do right now? Hey, God's already told us what he wants us to do. And so finally, he says to the priest, as it gets so loud of the battle over there, withdraw thine hand. Okay, back off. And then in verse 20, it says, And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. They finally got there, but notice, and behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a great discomfiture. So, by the time Saul gets to the battle, the Philistines are so busy fighting and killing each other that all they can do is watch. They missed it. I wonder how many people are going to miss out on the work of God because they were so busy counting up things and so busy talking to people who weren't in the fight and didn't say, I'm just going to trust God by faith and step out and see what God might do. By the time they get there, the battle is almost over. In verse 21, moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time... These were the fair-weather fans. These were the traitors. It says, they went up with them into the camp from the country roundabout. They also turned to be with the Israelites. The traitors switched teams again. And there's always that crew, right? Like, where have you been? Oh, well, it's amazing what God's doing. I just want to be here 
and experience his blessing. Well, we would have loved to have you here all along. Now, I'm thankful that God can take anybody, even those that have turned their back on him, and bring them back to himself. He's faithful. But my friend, don't miss out on the work of God because you're afraid to step out by faith. And it says, before, moreover, I'm sorry, verse 22, Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. These were the fearful ones hiding in their cave. Oh, wait, we're winning? Let's go! Yay, here we are! Guys, where was your faith? So rewind. There's Jonathan all by himself. Enemies. Way bigger than he is. They have way better weapons. Jonathan only has his armor bearer. So like, think about that. Like, an armor bearer is the guy that carries his armor. So it's not like he brings a bunch of additional stuff to the fight. He just brings Jonathan's own stuff to the fight. And so these two guys... Not a great plan. Not a big army. It wasn't even really their place to be leading in this thing. It, it should have been Saul and the other people. All they had was their faith in God. Saul's faith encouraged Jonathan. Their willingness to step out by faith. They saw God do miraculous things in winning this battle. And finally, everybody else shows up. Kind of like if you would step out by faith, who might God encourage through you? And it might be a great victory one. And yes, some of the people won't experience it at the same level you do if you take the first step of faith. But they'll get to see God work and God's name lifted up. You see, number six, real faith demonstrated will have exponential impact for God's kingdom. As the song says, little is much when God is in it. Yeah. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. God's not restrained to say by many or by few. But I want to make one final point. Number seven, we made it through all of them here. Look at verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day when the battle passed over in the Beth Avon. Real faith must be in the right person. I love it that as Samuel wraps up this chapter, he doesn't say, now boys and girls, go be like Jonathan. He doesn't say, boys and girls, Jonathan and his armor bearer won a great battle that day. Now what does he say? So the Lord. So the Lord saved Israel that day. See, our faith must be in the right person. Because here's the thing. You all got a book today. And we'll be talking about even more things that aren't even in the book tonight at 5. And sharing some of the blessings of the past and looking forward to the future. But if we get to the end of the year and say, man, look at what he did. You missed the point. 
get to the end of the year and say, wow, pastor was great. You missed the point. Get to the end and say, look at our great organization. Man, we were able to conquer some new territory and do some amazing things. You've missed the point. Man, look at all these ministries we got started. Look at all these people that we reach. We missed the point. Real faith has to be in the right person. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. God gets all the glory. So the Lord saved Israel that day. I would say it this way. The object of your faith is more important than the size of your faith. Jesus dealt with this in the New Testament with his disciples. He said, even if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it would be done. The issue isn't that you don't have enough faith. The issue is your faith is in the wrong person. It's in yourself. Just trust yourself. Believe in yourself and you can do great things. We hear that all the time. You might do some great things, but they won't be the things of God. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. The problem isn't that you don't have enough faith and you just need to have more faith. No, we need to redirect our faith on God. Because everybody is demonstrating faith every day. Some of you went to a doctor this week and, and they said, take this medicine. You said, okay, you demonstrated faith. Some of you pulled up to the gas station and you stuck that nozzle in your, in your car and you, you squeezed it. You demonstrated faith that gasoline would come out and go in your car. You sat down in your car seat and you turned the key. You demonstrated some faith that that car would turn on. Some of you say, I have no faith in my car. And so before you turned your key, you actually got out and popped the hood and made sure everything looked good. Why? Because you have no faith that if you turn the key because your faith's not in your car for it to start because it doesn't start for you. Right? We all have faith. The problem is not a lack of faith. It's that the faith is not where it should be. I could go on and on with illustrations of how you and I demonstrate faith on a daily basis. But who or what is your faith in this morning? If it's in the Lord, it's going to change everything about what you do, how you think, and how you orient your life to put Him first in everything. That's real faith. And I want to finish by saying this. The greatest example of faith in Scripture is not Jonathan. It's not even David, who just a little while after this, Jonathan's best friend stood up in another day when the Philistines once again, and they had a big guy on their team. His name was Goliath. And David, this little shepherd boy, comes in with not a great plan. All right, five smooth stones out of the brook. I think the guy covered in armor. But David said this, The Lord who delivered the lion and bear into my hand will also deliver you. Because David's faith was in the Lord. And that's why David won that battle. But those guys aren't the greatest example of faith. The greatest is found 
In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. These are all the people that are watching us, from even from heaven, those who have seen us, who have gone before, those who have faithfully served God. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of of what? Of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus exercised and demonstrated great faith. His faith in God's plan was enough that he was willing to make himself of no reputation and take upon himself the form of a servant and be made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he then humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's great faith. Wherefore, because of that, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's great faith. That's great faith. So I'm not going to ask you how much faith you have this morning. I'm going to ask you, where is your faith this morning? Is it in the right person? If it's real and it's in the right person, it's going to motivate you to do some action. God has an amazing ability to speak to each and every one of us in a different way about different things because every one of us is facing different situations and circumstances in our lives. But God's given all of us the Word of God to guide our steps, to lead us down the right path to follow Him. Here's the beautiful thing. God may be speaking to you about one thing and someone over here about something totally different, but if we'll all step forward by faith and following what God tells us to do in His Word, it'll bring us closer to Him and closer to each other. It's a beautiful thing. And the body works like it should. This is why I've chosen our theme this year to be together. It's my hope that you, like Jonathan with his armor bearer, would step out by faith together with me, with each one of us, to see God do great things for his glory. And when it's all said and done, we want it all to be about him, about the work of the gospel in each and every one of us. And when you step back to see the exponential impact that God had in this situation in Jonathan's life, what kind of impact could God have in our community, in this world, if you will just walk by faith with Him? Lord, we love you and we thank you that your work is accomplished. As Jesus said, it is done. When he was on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Lord, yet you've chosen 
through your sovereign will, your understanding of all things, your power over all things, you've chosen that you would entrust the message of the gospel to people such as us. You compare us to clay pots, easily broken, not very beautiful to look at, seeming of little to no value. And you've put the greatest treasure in all the world in us to be able to share. Or there's a great opportunity in front of us. There's so many people right here, just right even on this street, that have never trusted in you. Lord, our missionaries are doing their best around the world to serve you. Lord, there's so much more that they would like to do. And we believe you are able to do and will do through us as we walk by faith. We pray for your power and your blessing as we submit ourselves humbly to you. Speak to our hearts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The piano's going to play. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand to your feet and come and do as God has directed you to do. Do business with the Lord today. Speak directly to Him. Come before His throne. Confess your sin. Ask Him for strength, help. Whatever God's asked you to do, would you walk by faith and do it? Often it looks, it's very simple. It doesn't even look very glamorous. In fact, no one else may even notice right away. But you'll know that you're trusting to trusting God and obeying Him. Would you do it this morning? Lord, help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.